Hi. Today's guest on Uppity Women is Jennifer Belt. She is a nonprofit and political consultant. She has a background in fundraising, working in nonprofits, a general badassery. Jennifer's one of those people I could talk to for hours. There's just so much to cover. We'd share a lot in common, uh, similar beliefs and politics. There were a couple of parts that I thought about cutting out because, well, I don't know why, but I just decided to leave them in because it was just all part of the conversation and I didn't want to edit myself too much, which I generally don't do anyway, but I also don't like just talking about my politics or my feelings about things or people too much um, because I want to try to stay open to other ideas and perspectives, which I think I do a pretty good job of. But when I do get with someone uh, who we're on generally the same page, it can be hard not to drift into some stomping of feet. I don't know if I'm sorry or not. Anyway, I hope you find this conversation to be useful. And definitely, I recommend Jennifer for all of your fundraising and strategic planning needs. She's got great experience. She's really smart. And she has a grasp on the nonprofit and fundraising community. And goodness knows, if you are involved in nonprofits, you know you need to raise money. So give Jennifer a call and pay her to help you be the best you can be. Enjoy. studio. Yay! Uh, so tell me who you are, where you're from, a little bit of background. Sure. My name is Jennifer Martinez Belt. I'm a native of Fort Smith, Arkansas. So I didn't know form- that. I know. Formerly known as Northwest Arkansas, but then we changed the River Valley. Right. When Fayetteville and Bentonville and all these beautiful, beautiful towns started to bloom. Um, well, right. well, hang on. Let me ask yeah. you about that. So Fort Smith was Northwest Arkansas. Well, who changed it? Was it Fort Smith or was it the snobby Northwest Arkansas people? <laughs> I love Northwest Arkansas, but you know, we, we are the, the second largest city in the state and it's almost like a bubble. Every time I mention um, I'm from Fort Smith, a lot of people are like, oh, basically Oklahoma. So we really had a different identity and I get it. I mean, I was closer to Tulsa than I was to Little Rock. So back to school shopping happened in Tulsa right. and plays and art. A lot of that happened um, somewhere closer, but truly the love for the state. I went to UCA. So I got to kind of get out of that grade 13 at Fayetteville and go to UCA and meet people from other parts of the state. So I don't, yeah. I don't know who made us on Northwest Arkansas. Hmm. Maybe it always was a River Valley. But um, if you just said Northwest Arkansas, it used to be you were just from Fort Smith. Interesting. Yeah, I weird. didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And now I think of the River Valley as, um, I guess, Russellville, Russellville Polk County yeah. to the west. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Interesting. So there we are. All right. So, okay. Fort Smith. Fort Smith. And grew up, had have a sister, a lot of families still there, great community. It's doing a lot. Excited about some of its expansions in art and culture as the U.S. Marshals Museum. So I'm still very much room for my hometown. Mm-hmm. I went to UCA. I majored in communications, mass communications, you know, before... There were all these separate types of majors you could have. Mass communications kind of covered it all. And I wanted to be a journalist. Um, My emphasis was in journalism. I did, you know, local TV and radio and print, wrote for the log cabin and was on our little TV station in college and just loved it. There was an opportunity for an internship and I thought I was going to go channel seven. I thought I was going to, you know, maybe I'd work for the Dem Gazette. I kind of already knew my, my path, but there was a t- chance for this internship um, in Washington, D.C. I met this gentleman outside my Kroger pharmacy in Conway. So older gentleman asked me about my prescription drugs. I'm like, what a weird man. 
Um, it was Congressman Vic Snyder. Oh, <laughs> yeah, just doing one of his local community fills in and, and checking in with with the public, seeing how people were doing, and that was my introduction to politics. That is bizarre. So there's this internship. I'm like, you know, I'm going to go for it for his office. You know, this will be fun. Maybe I'll be a political writer. Who knows what where it'll take me? But it was just for the summer, and it seemed like a good fit for that time. Well, I moved to Washington, D.C. in 99 and never looked back from there. I was there over three years and had an amazing experience. Um, Interned for Vic, worked for Congressman Barry. This was at the very end of the Clinton administration. So I was able to go on and work for them for a short time, which was, you know, in your 20s working at the White House. Yeah. It's amazing. Then went um, after the Gore recount and not knowing whether we would have a job the next day, um, met with the chief of staff at Senator Lincoln's office. And he said, come on home. Come on. Come on here. We have a place for you. And I served there um, almost two years as her deputy press secretary Wow! and just met some of the best people all the way through there. Love my little career in Washington. So starting with... Um Snyder, what sorts of, what were your responsibilities? Like what kinds of things did you do while you were there? (laughs) So as an intern, as summer intern, you know, most of them are on recess. So a lot of it was very, you know, basic of alphabetize this, um, help Ed Fry pick up his desk. So Ed Fry was the chief of staff who we all loved and adored. And, um, you know, his press secretary might have me running, running errands, but it was really more an introduction to the Hill and the process, giving tours mm-hmm. of the Capitol, um, organizing different, um, school trips, getting tickets for people that were coming into town. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really started off basic staff assistant is, you know, was what I ended up doing for Congressman Barry. And it was entry level work, but you were being introduced to just really whole new world, a world really where I wasn't so much about the politics as I was about, um, the mission of work, you know, education was important to me. Mm-hmm. Healthcare was important to me. Women's issues, um, the environment, you know, that's really when I got to get down, you know, into the weeds and start to understand how our policy made a difference. And I think that was more of my attraction of being there was reporting good things back to the state. What was the experience like to see how the sausage is made? Well, it was really great till it wasn't, you know, uh, I think I was very idealistic. I didn't even know what political party I was when I went there. I wasn't raised in that kind of, you know, we're going to talk about philanthropy and I was raised time, talent, treasure. You know, my parents never really had yard signs up being from Fort Smith. Um, I guess I was probably going to be a Republican, you know, was that was, I was supposed to be even Congressman Hutchinson made a joke about it at the time. Why was I interning for Vic when I was from Fort Smith? It led to tears on my part, you know, like, because I care, because I care. And I just found myself, myself kind of aligned more with the issues that these individuals were fighting for. And that idealistic, you know, cloud kind of came, came crashing down probably after the White House and the recount and the whole Bush and Gore election was really, really hard on a young staffer um, to kind of understand that whole dynamic. I was very blessed to get that opportunity to stay in D.C. and work for Blanche. Um, well, I want to stop at the at the 2000 recount. I was glued to CNN for a month. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could not get enough of that. So what was it about that 
that struck you? Well, you know, we all stayed up late to watch um, the election. And I remember being at a watch party with a lot of my, you know, coworkers. And from one minute to the next, they were ready to call. And looking at less from politics or less from party, I had a job. I didn't have a job. That's more than I was associated with. Mm -hmm. Did I have a job? Did not have a job? And, you know, I'd wake up in the middle of the night after leaving the watch party to turn on the, the news and I did have a job. I went back to sleep and I didn't. And it was just all this chaos and it was chaos, you know, on the hill it was chaos, just the feeling of what, what's going to be happening. And, you know, that was a, a totally different time. My role at the White House was a comment line and greetings office. So we literally got calls in from all over and we produced these reports um, at the end of the day of what constituents were here, you know, the, what the American people were talking about. Mm-hmm. And so it was very top of mind. Um, looking back on it now, I was so young and I, you know, I didn't have the time. It was very um, personal because it was my livelihood. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I was living in a group house with six women, <laughs> you know, my livelihood and my excitement of, of my lifestyle was kind of wrapped up in this election. Right. And the chats, right. The hanging chats. I, I cannot remember I think it was always a close race during the campaign, but was there a, a confidence that Gore would win or or was it really just like, we don't know what's going to happen? I think there was because he, um, you know, the Clinton, in my eyes, of course, the Clinton administration had, you know, been successful and we were ready and we had laid all the groundwork and... I personally thought that was a carryover into the Gore administration. Big fan of tippers. Al, actually, I voted for Al Gore in sixth grade. Because, yeah, in sixth grade, I have loved him since sixth grade because of his environmental stance. Hmm. So to me, it was something, again, from that, not in politics, but caring about the issues, right. you know, that little girl mentality of, oh, I need help court to win. He won my sixth grade election. Right. We've got to make him win again. <laughs> in Fort Smith. In Fort Smith. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least in my head, he did. I just know I voted for him. Yeah. I don't, you know. <laughs> Who knows what the outcome really was. Yeah. But it was a, a really enchanting time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're talking about seeing the sausage made. That all changed for me, 9-11. I was, you know, at the Capitol working for Senator Lincoln and, you know, as press secretaries and deputy press, me and uh, my coworker Drew were in there early, you know, turning on the TVs, getting everything ready for the votes and making sure, you know, reading through the papers, old school clips, you know, we used to get the papers, cut out the clips. This wasn't electronic, you know, email and all that kind of stuff is still new. Um, after 9-11 and, you know, um, seeing the towers go down, the Pentagon, not knowing where your boss is, being asked to execute literally kind of that whole um, run for your life mentality. It wasn't just a day, you know, after that, people forget the Capitol. We were on such lockdown. We had guards everywhere. You know, any time a bag was left in the hallway, we were running. Mm-hmm. Um, we later had the anthrax scare, mm-hmm. which we were all tested for anthrax, which is not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had the shooter, you know, I mean, people forget that that period was just, it was a lot. We spent more time outside the Capitol than we actually did, I felt like. So that was my, uh, uh, this isn't for me. I didn't realize you were there for 9-11. I remember that morning so well because mm-hmm. I was watching the news. And I remember when the plane hit the first tower, it just looked like a little, little prop plane. I mean, it didn't, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't register that it was an actual jet liner. And then when the second one hit, I was like, oh no, that's intentional. And, and then just like Pentagon, shit started yeah. going down. And it was so surreal. I can remember the feeling right now talking about it. I can remember the feeling of, of that day and how eerie it was. And 
like watching the TCBY tower, you know, and being afraid if a plane went by. And, and I worked at the Democrat Gazette and I remember smoked at the time. And I remember sitting outside smoking a cigarette thinking Bush has a blank check. And I, I thought everything is going to change now. Yeah. And it, it did. did. It did. It did. But we could see the Pentagon smoke from our offices. Right. I mean, we, yeah. It so was just, how did this go down that morning? So you're preparing for the day. Yeah. And then what was the first you heard about it? Like, how, tell, walk me through that day. Oh, wow. Okay. So getting to the office early before votes was kind of in the press where, you know, you need Arkansas would wake up. Um an hour behind us. Right. Mm -hmm. So almost every morning my grandmother would, and I would usually talk because it was September and those are our birthdays. She was September 13th and I'm September 17th. So it was, you know, coming up to birthday time and we actually spoke that morning. And that's important because I wasn't able to get a hold of a lot of people, you know, cell service and stuff was really poor in communication. So you didn't know if your loved ones were okay for a long time. Mm -hmm. So I spoke with her that morning, you know, geared up my computer. I I think I was on the channel TV, start the copier because I was going to do morning clips and whatever issues were important to the Senator. Um, The office started filling in and obviously we broke breaking news with, I just remember Matt Lauer. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't have it set to the floor yet because there weren't any votes yet. And we knew the Senator would be coming in and she came in through Virginia. She came that direction. Again, the staff kind of same feeling of, oh my goodness, you know, that's in New York. And we all kind of scuttle, but, you know, because we all have friends Mm -hmm. in New York, Mm -hmm. um, making sure everyone's okay. And then it was the second, and then it was, you know, I can't even remember if there was any kind of announcement about Pentagon, but just the smoke outside, making sure the center was okay, turning her back around. And then they, you know, the whole day was just like the phone stopped working. You know, right. you, you saw the news coverage. There was no protocol to that. Like, who do you call? Mm-hmm. Um, but with the, the final flight, who I often credit flight 93 with all their, you know, courage, mm-hmm. it was coming back to DC. Mm-hmm. So we were all told to evacuate the Capitol. And, you know, at that time, since I had worked at the White House, I had a lot of friends working for Bush administration because, you know, we're all friends. We're all passionate. It's not, oh, the Republicans. I mean, I gave free tours to everyone I could think of when I was at the White House so I can get free tours from Bush Mm -hmm. administration. So all still very dear friends up there, no matter what your political party was. And we were asked to evacuate the building. I lived on 3rd and C, Northeast. So I lived literally three blocks from the Capitol. Mm -hmm. Um, Cars weren't able to go anywhere. I mean, it was just total mayhem. Luckily, again, the Arkansas delegation was very tight. So the few of us that had houses on the Hill just got people to their houses. I remember, you know, coworkers in suits, me getting t-shirts for them to change for the day because we were all dressed for work Mm -hmm. and now we're dressed for who knows what. Mm -hmm. And when that plane did go down, you know, it was just that sense of looking to the skies, Mm -hmm. looking to the skies. You know, you had all the military coming in, you had jets flying over your head. It was just for me, it was a terror I never knew mm-hmm. and didn't understand. Like, what did we do that me, Jennifer Martinez, has to go run for her life, mm-hmm. per se? Mm-hmm. And where do I run to? You know, right. where do I where do I go? Not to minimize actual war uh, experiences, but did it feel in some way like D.C. was under attack or the country or you? I didn't understand the whole country, per se. It definitely felt like just our city, our capital mm-hmm. or, you know, definitely... I, I, did, I didn't really understand the depth. I could not grasp why someone would hate someone so much mm-hmm. too, because again, not as much, unfortunately, connection to New York. I couldn't think of who was in that building that I know later on, you know, you find out who was working or who was missing. Right. Um, the Pentagon was personal because I could see the smoke and I knew that's a uh, people that I know. Mm-hmm. 
And then again, when that, this, you know, I know people at the White House and, and obviously I was at the Capitol. So that plane was coming back and those were all people we loved. Mm-hmm. So it, it felt personal. Like, why would you want to hurt a bunch of 20 year olds? Right. Cause you know, they're the ones running the country. The 20 year olds are the, right. all the staffers, but um, yeah, not knowing anything like it. And I hope, you know, we never know anything like that, that fear again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did it uh, change you in any ways that you can articulate is in, really in any way, politically or personally? Well, again, I'd always had a really um, strong faith in our country. And I know that sounds awkward, but my dad's a vet, but at the same time, loving my country and being you know, loyal and faithful to who we are and how fortunate we are for our freedoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was one of the people that did get through. My dad was one of the people that did get through on the telephone to me, but it's definitely the sense of life short, make mm-hmm. it count. Mm-hmm. Um, don't take anything for granted. And then just, you know, people are willing to actually cause harm or kill themselves over our freedoms. Mm-hmm. So take those, take those to heart. Mm-hmm. So the, on September 10th was, was the atmosphere in DC, like I'm thinking about how vitriolic our politics are now. Uh-huh. Um, the day before 9-11 was there you know, the partisan fighting and bickering and it had been a hard race, obviously with Bush and, and Gore and the recount and all of that. Uh, my sense is that, you know, when tragedy happens, we all come together. Right. Oh, you felt that. So yeah. Did you? That night we all gathered outside the Capitol on the mall on candles. I mean, in people that you didn't normally see out and about. I mean, there were no words. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the country came together in pure loyalty and it definitely, we felt united. Mm-hmm. I think that really was obviously through tragedy, we were able to kind of come together. But again, at that time, um, me understanding, you know, what policy would or wouldn't, you know, it was when does, when does that blinder come off in my real understanding of what it took to pass legislation, you know, definitely was changing at that time. Yeah. It's, uh, I wish it didn't take tragedy. I know. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, yeah, definitely not a sob story, but a, a reality story of, you know, all this passion. And, and as I think of young Hill staffers now and how many doors are open for them for different opportunities, I just hope they don't forget the the shoulders that they walk on the, the, Mm -hmm. you know, the staffers that poured the coffee Mm -hmm. and took the memos and, you know, had different circumstances happen to them. Um, just how important the work that they're doing is no matter what, in what capacity and that never to take it for granted. Right. Yeah. It makes me think of the, I don't don't remember. It was a podcast. I I mean, it's been years. I don't even remember where I was listening to it or what show it was, but it was a story about uh, a time in, I think it was Boston where there was a pro-life versus pro-choice and it was becoming really, I don't know if it had become violent, but it was, it was really nasty. And so in secret, the two women who were leaders of these different groups got together to kind of discuss everything that was going on and their positions. And the outcome of that was not that they changed their positions. They even felt more strongly about where, where they were sitting, but it gave them an understanding of each other and also completely deflated all of the stuff that was going on oh, around absolutely. the issue. And right? that's politics. Right. One on one. I mean, people that you think are totally opposite ends, you know, the orange hat to Ted Kennedy and then them laughing in the hallways, mm-hmm. totally different mm-hmm. um, on, on where they stand on issues. 
but as people, mm-hmm. who else are you going to find that is as passionate about you and your roles in the country than another elected official, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. so I got to see a lot of that. Yeah. And, um, I'm lucky for the delegation I work for. They opened a lot of those doors. You know, I work mm-hmm. for a lot of blue dogs, so it wasn't unlikely to see a D or an R mm-hmm. and work together. And re- I mean, really work together. Mm-hmm. And it was the staff that we got to embrace each other and be friends. You know, the Southern delegation from going to Georgia's office, I would go down to, you know, the Georgia delegation office so I'd get a free Diet Coke and some peanuts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they would come up when Rice was here. And it was just, we were all kind of in it together. Mm-hmm. And that background noise of all the talking heads and then that was something totally different than what we were really experiencing. Right. Again, this is my opinion. This was, and again, I was young and I still was very idealistic. Like, you know, oh my gosh, this is really going to happen. We're really going to, we're really going to vote for this. And this is going to change, you know, how children read in school and this is going to change, you know, how many fours stay up. And, and I don't know that it was dissolution, but I I definitely went into politics hoping for that kind of outcome Mm -hmm. to be that kind of effective, you know, citizen and and leader. Mm -hmm. And have you lost that? It just shifted. Right. It just shifted. So I moved back, um, back to Arkansas. And that's one of my things is you can always move back home. Ended up landing in Little Rock. And there was a a large group of uh, young professionals who were leaving DC and we kind of became a little cult. Right. And that was when you came back to work for Blanche Lincoln? No, this is when I came back. I worked for uh, Pascal, Bill Pascal. Okay. Pascal Strategic. So you worked for Blanche in DC? Yes. Okay. okay. But I was still, we were all still really tight to Mm -hmm. the office Mm -hmm. and very kind. I worked for this group that did, you know, mayor's races Mm -hmm. and, um, judicial races, different kinds of city bond issues um, with Bill Pascal and loved every minute of it, really back to grassroots efforts. And I felt, you know, this is where, this is, this is a little bit more homegrown. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt comfortable being in Little Rock, you know, being able to own a home and a car for what I paid for one square foot in, mm-hmm. in Washington. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of folks that had moved back with similar passions of changing the world and, and making it, making an impact, making a difference. Mm-hmm. I think we all, you know, sat at this round table at one point and most of them now all have had some elected official position, but we all kind of, you know, laid our turf of this is where I want to go. This is the direction I want to go. I then, after so many, you know, years of doing this, turned my attention to philanthropy. In 2005, I went and worked for the Arkansas Prostate Cancer Foundation. And that was probably my turning point of a friend told me, you know, you'd be really, really good at fundraising. And I kind of laughed it off. I'm like, I wouldn't know the first thing about fundraising. He said, uh, you're doing it and you don't even know it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, I was part of this group. We had invented ourselves called Jingle Bells. Mm-hmm. And because we all had all these different connections, I got a group of women together and we would throw these holiday parties and then the money would go to charity mm-hmm. because we, that's just how we operated it. You can prize of like Natalie Gadotti, who now has Gadotti mm-hmm. Communications. It was just different walks of life. So philanthropy was always a big part of who I was. I just decided to let that passion become my career. Mm-hmm. And so that happened in 2005. And I went on to continue to raise raise dollars, um, first for prostate cancer, but I was involved with Komen, um, different small nonprofits throughout the community. Um, that was really important to me because I could see where those dollars were affecting families. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, the dissolution of old policy and legislation, you know, the years and years it takes to get something like that passed. Mm-hmm. Whereas give me a dollar, I'll go feed somebody. Right. You know what I mean? I could, I could actually show that work. I got married in 2007 mm-hmm. to Scott Bell, who is a conservative, mm-hmm. believe it or not. 
But that was always my, my, my ammo was, you know, why have someone agree with you all the time? Right. Why not grow and challenge? And I think that's kind of, kind of the base of our relationship. So I did marry a Republican, but that's okay. And, and we have been kind of, you know, getting to the same place in a different way. Right. But I did move to Austin and then later to Houston where philanthropy is a totally different way of raising money. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really helped me grow, you know, it really helped me, I mean, oil money and kind of the basis of, um, just different demographics and cultures different. And I just got to open up my eyes to something that Arkansas didn't have, you know, where I made sure to plan events around Rosh Hashanah. That would never happen mm-hmm. in Little Rock. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think about that or, this right. or where I got to have different dialects or different cuisine. I adored it. It really helped me hone in on that fundraising skill. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't just event planner. You know, I was now a volunteer manager. I was writing grants. I was, I was doing all these things. Um, we have two lovely children, mm-hmm. uh, Sloan and Thomas, and they're both born in Houston, but you know, raising a family away from your family, you can do it, but that just wasn't my goal in life. I wanted them to be with their grandparents. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we moved back here again, coming back to Arkansas. Yep. Keep leaving. Keep coming back. And Scott's from Arkansas too? No, he actually has roots in Texas. He's lived all, all over. Okay. He was with the company um, that built the 303rd Tower, which was his oh. project, the Clinton Library and the ballpark. I remember I'm that big community kind of nerd. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're changing our skyline. Mm-hmm. You're making our city look different. And he's like, you know, sweetheart, we do this everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Let me come show you. And, and of course, in Houston, you know, he's building med centers and I mean, just he, using helicopters in construction. I mean, it was just... Oh, you know, all, all of it was just amazing. Yeah. I loved it. I loved the opportunity to live away, but then for raising our kids, I wanted to come back home Mm -hmm. and we did that. And I got a wonderful opportunity to work for the Arkansas Food Bank. Mm -hmm. So I took all those years of, of philanthropy and helped navigate a new uh, development team for the food bank and was there just shy of five years. It was wonderful. And again, it was back to that sense of community involvement, um, of, having individuals invest in a mission. Mm-hmm. But again, that politics keeps creeping up. Right. <laughs> right. And that advocacy keeps, keeps boiling inside. So most recently I, um, I decided to take a, a different direction. And there were so many small nonprofits that I'd get calls from like, could you just sit with me for a few minutes and look at my list? Or could you come talk to my board? And, and you know, I was doing this. And again, with small children, yeah, there had to be something that was going to give. So I didn't want to give up on philanthropy and I didn't want to you know, let folks down. But I formed my own group. Mm-hmm. Martinez Felt Consulting that allows kind of the best of both worlds. So I'm able to fundraise and work with those small nonprofits, but I'm also able to give, I don't want to say political advice, but use those expertise and those relationships that I have to encourage and help fundraise in politics. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really been for me, the best of both worlds. Yeah. And and you just started it in the last year. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So when the kids started back to school, I started this new, this new venture. So tell me how that, like, does a candidate call you and say, Hey, I, I mean, do you come onto a campaign or are you just an advisor or a consultant? How does that work? So advisor consultant. So Mm -hmm. I'm not actually the one probably picking up the phone Mm -hmm. and calling for you. I'm much more a believer in teaching you 
the tools of the trade, just the basic fundamentals of, you know, helping put a plan together, mm-hmm. giving you the tools to make sure you're successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you don't have any missteps. You know, Arkansas is a very giving state and we've got so many bright ideas, but we don't need another nonprofit. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to collaborate. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I'm really proud of being able to work on. Um, I was part of the team of the merge for the um, Arkansas Food Bank and the Rice Depot. You know, two great organizations Mm -hmm. coming together to continue to do their work to feed hungry people. Um, I think that probably helped me decide, like, you know, we have to have more collaboration. Mm -hmm. We Mm -hmm. can't grow bigger and stronger if we don't have a more focused um, union on some of these issues like homelessness, Mm -hmm. you know, like the, the battle for different diseases. They really have to come together. So I do consulting. So I'll come in and, and work with you, give you the plan and help you execute the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the part I enjoy. We talked uh, for actually quite a while before we started the interview. <laughs> and um, one of the things we talked about was what I'm doing with women lead, if anything. Yes. And um, I also believe in combining resources and efforts and not starting my own thing just because I would do it differently from someone else. Right. And so I'm in this weird place where there are different groups, uh, who are doing campaign trainings, which is the whole reason we started women lead Arkansas. Um, and the women's foundation, which is now kind of branched into work equity and, and a bet. Yeah. Yes. And so, I mean, they're, it's all fantastic. And so now I'm stuck I say stuck. Now I'm in a position where I'm like, okay, well, is there some void that we can fill as Women Lead Arkansas or do I stop what I'm doing and help these other groups in whatever way I can? What advice would you give? We don't have to do a whole consultation here, but like <laughs> my first hour is free. First hour is always free. <laughs> what are the things that you tell people to think about when they're in a position like this? It's collaboration and how you make yourself sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, big fan of women lead, big fan of all, all the different organizations that are, are helping. Um, you came along at a time when there wasn't anything though. Mm-hmm. You're the OG. Like we talked about, right. you're the original. Right. Um, and there's a lot to be said for that. You sometimes mission and vision need to take adjustments. Mm -hmm. And I think after reviewing that with the client, you see if there's still a viable reason to be part, Mm -hmm. a viable reason to be, to be going. Um, There's always those who've said, you know, well, we've always done it this way. Well, if you've always done it this way and it's not working, Mm -hmm. either Mm -hmm. you change and I hate to say bow out, but it's time to, to collaborate and go ahead and, and right. combine efforts with somebody. And, and that's hard for someone who's put their heart and soul into something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you might be having one piece that fits the mold. Can you mm-hmm. train that organization to fit that mold that you're doing? Mm-hmm. Or do you continue to grow in a different a different capacity? Right. Yeah. Well, and I don't have founder syndrome in that I don't, I'm not narcissistic about it. Like, yeah. I don't have to have women lead. It's not my identity, but I love it. I mean, yeah. I guess it is part of my What's identity. Your baby? I mean, you started yeah. it, you got it going. Right. And, and that's hard to, um, I don't want to say let go of, but it's hard to envision not having it around because you, it was feeling a void. It was, yes. it was, it was definitely filling a need. And you just I have also, to see. Right. I'm also afraid that like, if I do dissolve it or hand it off, I'll think of the, the idea that like, <laughs> what? but I could should have done that. So, and that's another problem. I personally have ADHD. I mean, I'm like all over the place. I have a, a million ideas and my problem is implementation. Like it's hard for me to just sit down and get some shit done because I'm distracted by all the shiny objects and the news and you know, all of that. So for example, I have, maybe I don't need a nonprofit, but I have a lot of ideas. So one thing that I've always wanted to do is do, um, conferences, workshop training. I don't know what it would be on collaboration. Right. So I'm a big believer in like solving problems. Yeah. Right. And, and coming from, at it from all different perspectives, getting all the seats at the table. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, so I thought, well, why don't we do a, a training for the legislature? Right. So yeah. 
before each session or after each election, whatever it is, do a training on collaboration and how that works and how you can be effective and blah, blah, blah. And then maybe we can become like the go-to resource for all the legislators, you know, whatever. I mean, I, you know, I don't know what it is or not even for the legislature, but for just people who are trying to solve problems in the state. It doesn't have to all be political. Yeah. So I have that idea. Well, do I need to create a whole nonprofit to do that? Or do I work with people who might also be interested in it? Like, right. So how do you find those people? Yeah. So my answer real quick, just off the cuff is no, don't form another nonprofit because there's another person out there brainstorming with you. Mm -hmm. Um, there's been a great, you know, network on social media now with the power women, all these different groups that are kind of coming together. Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of brainstorming different ideas and it all know, feels so partisan though. Yeah. You know, and, and well, I even, going, even going up to Northwest Arkansas or looking at different parts of our state. Mm -hmm. Um, I think sometimes on Little Rock, we get a little bit, you know, we're the only one in the bubble. Oh yeah. And we're, we've we're, got to bust that bubble mm -hmm. because when you have other impactful leaders in all these communities, you know, like we were talking about, they're out there. Mm -hmm. They, they need a voice and they need someone, you know, maybe like you to, to offer them a seat at the table. It also might be universities, right? Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. So, so maybe the political science department at, at UCA. Or any or kind of leadership forum. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. So because you're right, we just don't need women leaders per se in politics. We need CEOs. We need right. women who are going to lead boards and, or even from the PTA, that's mm -hmm. a whole different political system right there. Yes. But, but empowering them to, to know, I don't want to say the rules of the trade, but actually know how to, to function and get things, mm -hmm. things done in the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are you hearing most from nonprofits, the struggles they're having? What are the kind of the themes of, of things that people are dealing with? So right now, um, you know, fundraising is a profession, you know, when I got, I've only been in it a short time, I feel like, but it's enough to cycle through where people thought of philanthropy as events. A philanthropist was someone that was giving millions of dollars. Anyone else who wasn't giving millions of dollars was going to an event and buying a ticket. Mm -hmm. Very tra transactional. Um, I've been lucky enough to actually no longer be in a special events coordinator and work my way through real philanthropy and understanding major gifts, um, moving individuals into different capacities of, of helping their mission. A lot of individuals are being hired to do the latter, but really only had the experience of being a special events coordinator. Mm -hmm. So one of the big things I hear from nonprofits is finding the talent. Everyone wants to be that talent. And in this profession of fundraising, we're good for a year. You know, everyone wants, has a checklist. You need to be at a special event. You need to write your grants. You need to be volunteer management. You need to do cost marketing. You know, there's all these different revenue streams. So staying more than two or three years at a nonprofit is almost unheard of mm -hmm. because you've already cycled through and learned your trade. Um, so it's uh, a lot of organizations are having a hard time finding someone with a lot of fundraising experience and putting a value to that. So right now, if I'm, you know, helping different nonprofits kind of look through what they're looking for, you know, are you really looking for a development director or are you looking for someone to help you execute your events? Two totally different things. Mm -hmm. Are you looking for someone to manage a team, uh, build new portfolios? You're looking for a major, major gifts officer, you know, so it's, there's different types of philanthropy. And I think right now it's really, really hard to find that talent. And a lot of folks um, maybe aren't getting the proper training. So you're hiring someone that just doesn't have the ability to execute 
And you have to give them the, the tools to execute what that CEO wants or what that organization needs. Mm-hmm. So I've been kind of a band-aid for a few of those and, and try to help navigate that. Um, always wanting to raise more money. A lot of the established organizations, it's um, Central Arkansas. I don't know if it's truly the same for Northwest Arkansas. They've got an awesome energy. They've got a really great energy. Yeah. Love, love, love. They just did Northwest Arkansas Gives. You know, obviously we have our Arkansas Gives to the Community Foundation but again, that 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 is an opportunity to learn a lesson of how you do annual giving. But in, in Little Rock, there's big enchilada and the little one. Mm-hmm. There's no in between really nonprofits. You're either raising millions, and you know, obviously those individuals aren't calling on me to for my services. Right. It's the smaller ones. And those are really the ones that are doing a lot of the bigger impact. You know, the large enchiladas are going to be just fine. You know, their their revenue streams are going to continue to grow. When you have a team of over five or six, you're going to be fine. You're, mm-hmm. you're hitting all your revenue streams. It's these small nonprofits that are a party of one or have one person on development that, I, that I've been working with and trying to help them put a plan together um, and, and really instruct their board how to be helpful since mm-hmm. they're small staffed and then to, to make sure that they're meeting their goals. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm very goal driven. I'm very metrics driven. And if you put a plan together, at least, you know, where you, where you stand mm-hmm. from month to month, mm-hmm. you know, or what, what's working, what isn't. Right. So those are the, some of the, at least in, in Arkansas, what I'm seeing in, in philanthropy. Right. And you said that there are the, the big enchiladas and then the little fish, right? Yeah. I, I would certainly be one of the little fish, but even, most nonprofits are fairly small, right? I mean, well, most, um, there's a lot out there that are not big, but aren't necessarily putting the tools in for fundraising. It's executing a mission and think about fundraising later. Mm -hmm. So it's these smaller ones may have a large, um, outreach may, may be getting by on amount of staff, but they're not investing Mm -hmm. or they're very grants heavy. Mm -hmm. So they're functioning for a year or two under, you know, a really amazing grant, but in two years they're going to defunct, you know, they're going to default on whatever Mm -hmm. their mission is because they don't think ahead to, to make sure right. that their work is sustainable. Right, right, right. Well, the work and the mission is still always there, even if the nonprofit goes. So yeah, the majority of them are pretty small in mm-hmm. terms of, of putting a lot of people on the fundraising mm-hmm. side and making sure that they can go from year to year. Yeah. Well, and one, one problem that I've had with women lead is that, you know, we started off, you know, with 20 people on the board and everyone's all excited and, and yeah, again, it's blazing. I remember. Yeah. yeah. And then it was like, after every meeting, we'd be all fired up, but then nothing would happen. And it was a failure of leadership on my part for sure, because I didn't, I didn't, create and implement a strategic plan. I mean, I did a training every year, but that's not the same as building a nonprofit, right? Right. And so board members would get frustrated because they're like, okay, well, we keep having the same conversation, but we're not actually doing anything. And meanwhile, I'd be thinking, well, I'm doing a lot. You know, you know so I'm executing this. That's right. Well, yeah. And having those multi-year plans, a lot of folks right. don't, you right. know, it's, and that's what I keep calling the bandaid is, well, and I call it A to B fundraising as well. So we'll have our event. We'll get to B. We'll do this. Right. We'll go from A to B. Mm-hmm. Then we'll go back to A and B. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're never going to see the end of the alphabet. Mm-hmm. I mean, most organizations are just staying afloat yep. in their nonprofit capacity. Um, I've also worked um, with some some different clients who are looking at philanthropy. So different law firms are like, how do we navigate that? Like mm-hmm. if I'm going to do a sponsorship in Arkansas, again, it's very generous. Right. They don't want to buy a table to everything. Right. You know, they want to have their hands in, work and volunteer. You know, I think of um, different law firms, different banks, and I've had fun kind of helping navigate some of those clients, mm-hmm. put, put them a, a great match together. Like, what, what is your 
what is your philanthropy? You know, you are on this real estate, you're in this real estate business. What are you going to care about? Mm -hmm. Like, is it going to be the children? You know, and and people are pretty quick to tell you what they want to do. Well, then own it and let that be your charity of choice. Don't jump around because that's how the A to B's continue to go. Really be strong behind, you know, a mission and be purposeful with your gifts. So um, they've been kind of fun to to advise on on gift giving. That's interesting. Yeah, I've, uh, I would always seek scholarships for our trainings because I never wanted anyone to not go because they didn't have the money and law firms were always my go-to because yeah. I'm a lawyer and I yeah. know them all. Yeah, they're, know? Great. So they're great. I was like, can you get 200 bucks? That's all I need. Well, I was supposed to say, if it's under a thousand dollars, it's not, yeah. you know, anything over a thousand was what I was trying to talk about. My give purposely, if you're going to give right. $10,000 yes. this year, I would prefer you not give it to 10 different charities, make an impactful gift and say, we're going to help children and make and sure we're going to give their to mission aligns with yours. Yes, we're yeah. going to give to centers or we're going to give to the hungry or the homeless. Make sure that this aligns with your right. business and own it for a year. Right. Kind of like what Mitchell Williams does. I love their take time to give campaign and they, they go, you know, guns blazing into one mission. And mm-hmm. that's a perfect model, in my opinion, of, of what mm-hmm. uh, philanthropy should look like from a business standpoint. Yeah. yeah. Well, and if a lot of go ever takes off the way I want it to, I've always wanted to make legal aid my nonprofit, I guess. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I want, I want to be in a position someday where I, we have got the money, <clears throat> pardon me, to give some percentage of my, of our income, our revenue to wherever we operate the local legal aid organizations, yeah. right? Because there's such a need for civil legal aid and oh. there's no money. Yeah. And so I like that a lot. And I, and I want to move into politics, but so you'll do a, you'll do a free consultation for an hour. Yeah. Is that I what you're what, saying? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I'll go in, um, you know, people will find me on my website or social media, maybe, you know, on podcast and, mm-hmm. and they'll want to just give me a quick phone call or talk. And I love meeting for coffee. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite thing to mm-hmm. do. And we meet and we kind of outline what your really goals are. Cause everyone comes in thinking, oh, this woman's going to raise a hundred thousand dollars for me. Well, I'm not. Right. I consider that flash in the pan fundraising. I don't do that. Right. I can raise a hundred thousand dollars for you, but that's not, you don't need me every year. Mm-hmm. So you just want me temporarily. Um, we kind of visit on what your goals are and we see what projects. So I can be project based or I can be retainer based mm-hmm. and I'm having fun doing both. So yeah, I meet for an hour. We kind of go through what that might look like proposal and, and then we get to work. Okay. And then you also do political consulting. Well, consulting and fundraising standpoint. I mean, so I had that experience of doing grassroots efforts and some different initiatives. I'm helpful on getting some of those things together. Um, can you but, give me an example? I don't know if you disclose your clients. If you can't. Oh, no, no, no. Well, some of them haven't even announced yet. So oh, okay. I have to give them that grace. But right. um, if they're looking for an individual to come in and put together a fundraising plan, whether it be statewide or local, I would do that with them and then help them execute call time. Again, I'm not doing the physical fundraising, but I'm making sure that all their pieces, so mail pieces and digital pieces look aligned, making sure that they're reaching their benchmarks, setting their goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do work with with campaign consultants in that capacity, but from a fundraising standpoint. So, so you're a part of their team. Right, the right, right. Team. I'm the sidekick. Right. I, I, by no means, I have an opinion, but my job is to make sure that you have the money to continue to run. Mm-hmm. And that's what I focus on. So it's changed so much with... 
text donations and yes. internet and yes. I mean, small Digital. donors. Mm-hmm. Yes. So how do you keep up with all of that? Well, I have, you constantly have to go back and, and, and get, get certified in classes. You know, there is opportunities out there for fundraisers. Again, it's a profession to go mm-hmm. out and learn different methods of giving. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still just still the fundamental ways, but gifts now can come through your phone and knowing your demographic, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so direct mail still works. South Arkansas, it still works. You better, you better, those individuals like to put their checks in the mail. So, you know, you need to know the area. And again, that's where my politics comes in because working for all those great elected officials, I've got to travel state, right? I know the counties, right? I know the need and I have a sense of their community and I continue to try to be that, you know, advocate and understanding the Delta looks a lot different Mm -hmm. than let's say Fayetteville and Mm -hmm. Jonesboro. Yeah. looks a lot different, you know, than El Dorado. Oh, I love my Union County. You know, Union County is great. Right. But you, you've got to um, identify with those donors or your constituent, you know, whichever mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. and see what, what's best fit for them. So some people might like a direct mail piece. Some people saw it on TV. Some people might need that digital. So um, I just try to keep on top of that. But I keep true to, to who we are as a state mm-hmm. and make make it easy for that person to give. Mm-hmm. Not hard. So um, some of those more advanced ways aren't necessarily going to work in every community, such as digital, such as the whole text to give. Right. And I, we talk about being Little Rock centric uh, uh-huh. or Metro centric, really. Yeah. And, yeah. And we forget that there are whole swaths of the state that don't have access to good Internet. Oh, you know? yes. And still, that's not how still. they get their information. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Don't text them. They're they're, <laughs> they're not on digital phones. Or, right. And that's OK. You know, that's the way the way they roll. But mm-hmm. you need to understand that that mm-hmm. community. Right. Have you, and and you may not have run into this at this point, but I think a lot about the dark money and how to combat that. And I don't care who it is. I mean, I was not a supporter of Courtney Goodson. However, well, I say that I voted for her against her competitor, but I thought the ads against her were sexist and inaccurate. And you can point to probably any of the major races and and say the same thing. She's just the one that comes to mind immediately. Do you have any thoughts on that? I do. And obviously there's a fundraising code of ethics, but at the same time, I try to to focus on that mission, big money, dark money, Mm -hmm. you know, the mighty dollar wins. And I I hate that that's sometimes the the outcome, but you know, I ran into that in different nonprofits of individuals that might be making a donation gift, but might be polluting the waterways. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? Are you Mm going to take that check so that you can execute your mission? Or are you going to not accept it because of your personal belief? Mm-hmm. I think there's room at the table for everyone. So if it's again, that those dark dollars, there is obviously a group trying to navigate their interests, their interests. Mm-hmm. And if they do it better than you, you just got to get some good fundraisers behind you. You know right. what I mean? Right. I, I'm not pro it, but I, I get it. If right. that makes sense. Well, so I guess really what I don't like, I'm fine with that, but we don't know who these people are. I guess exactly. that's my issue. Yeah, undisclosed. Yes, right. Yes, so, yes. so when you've got Judicial Watch or whatever, you know, the group is that is coming in and, and you know. Pack money out. Yeah. Right. It's like. But fine. it happens in philanthropy too. It does. does it? These big dollars come in and they want um, their building, you know, their name on the mm-hmm. side of a building and or they their want to go to college. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's out there. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a struggle. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like any other professions, there's a code of ethics, but at the same time, you know, you, you just have to stay true to, to who you are and mm-hmm. what your mission is or who your client is you're working for. So mm-hmm. yeah, that sometimes that's hard to navigate, but it's there. Yeah. It's definitely one of those things you have to 
right. to navigate. Right. Oh, just wish the world would do what I want it to. Um, I know, right? <laughs> so you had mentioned that spring is a big time for nonprofits. Yes. What does that mean? So nonprofits really um, rely, again, the whole event is the public awareness and how they're doing. Um, almost every nonprofit has some sort of spring event, big fundraiser. Every annual weekend from now until, or probably even last month, is full of either it's a bike race, the weather's beautiful, or a walk or a run or a gala. And it's a big time for individuals to partake and actually be part of that philanthropy. It's also a big time because tax, tax returns. Mm-hmm. It's a big time. People are getting their their dollars back and, you know, we can be looking at gifts of stock and their, their tax returns. Where, where are those dollars going? So some of the bigger philanthropists make those gifts, but spring's always bigger. It's second to the holiday, you know, mm-hmm. holiday. Um, end of year giving. End of year giving mm-hmm. is, is obviously number one, but, you know, everyone comes out of their hibernation and spring is time. People start writing checks and attending those festivals right. um, and a lot of dollars are exchanged. So, you know, it really sets the organization up for a successful year or a bummer of a year mm-hmm. um, based on these next few months. Mm-hmm. I, um, I project too much. Uh, <laughs> and one of my projections is that I feel like there are so many events. Yes. And do you have to have an event? Like when, when I've been approached about doing an event for women late Arkansas, I'm like, people don't want another thing to go to. And I don't have the money, the outlay, you know, the capital to invest in a big event and hope that the money comes back. Like I see these wonderful events are great, but it's like, yeah, but they've got a shitload of money that I don't have. And how much are they making on return? How much they actually net? Is it worth it? Um, so again, I don't want to, you know, throw the special events under the bus, but if you really want to make effective dollars and, and, you know, have effective donors, that's not, that's not your path to take. Mm-hmm. It does introduce, you know, them to it, to an organization, but a, but a open house would work. Um, a non-event, have you seen those? Those are super fun to suggest. Mm-hmm. So you send out the invitation and you ask for, you know, $25, $50 donation to not come, yeah. be in your pajamas, you know, watch, watch a movie on our behalf, but make the donation. So there needs to be an entryway for these nonprofits to say hello. Mm-hmm. And, you know, buying and filling tables definitely does work, but it doesn't have to be the end all be all. Um, you know, if your event is the only thing that's keeping you afloat, that's not good. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so I, I don't ever want to dog out special events. There's a place, there's a need, but at the same time, it can't be the only success story for, for right. nonprofits. You have to do more. You, right. You have to follow up and do more. Uh, which is the event that um, only allows the male candidates to eat? It's one of those food. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's, I wasn't it's going. The, it's not the Coon Supper. It's, oh, no. Coon's fun. It's in Slovak, maybe? Yes. Is that what Oysters, it is? maybe? The Oyster Supper. I'll have to look. I'll fact check Voice this. After the, hmm. Right. So the women can stand out there and shake the hands of the people going in line, but only the male politicians can go in because it's a male only event, which I've always thought was bullshit. I mean, the women go and they stand there and they do their thing. But uh, so I've always thought, well, we should do a women only event and the men, the male candidates can't come in, you know, so I don't know. <laughs> That's the only event I've ever wanted to do, but okay. Well, I'll keep that. I'll keep that in mind. Okay. Maybe we'll make it a block party. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to go back to your, um, I want to talk about women in politics. Okay. We've got some exciting ones now, don't we? I mean, and oh, just generally. Yes. Oh yeah. But I want to know what your observations were being in DC and even back in Arkansas as it relates to, to women and, and particularly whether it was Hillary, I don't know if you had much interaction with her, um, but, but definitely Blanche. And one thing about Blanche Lincoln that 
I always liked, cause I think I've been like this sort of in, in my life is, is she, she didn't act like a girl, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right. And it wasn't about her. I never felt like the issue was about her being a woman because she was very kind of pragmatic and, and just kind of got stuff done. She was the first woman to be on the, um, oh, which uh, commission or committee was it? Uh, Finance. The ag. ag. I think ag. it was the first yeah, woman to be on the committee. ag committee. Yeah. To, to lead. She's it. awesome. What, yeah. yeah. So what sorts of things did you observe? What challenges do women have that men don't? <laughs> long list. So yeah. I'm, I'm from a long line of women leaders while I have, you know, effective role models, uh, male role models in my life. Effective women leaders are, are a big part of who I am. It's probably why I'm even, you know, doing the things that I'm doing and, going to DC, I definitely thought it was a man's world, mm-hmm. you know, from, um, where we sat to how we dressed. I mean, I remember one time, you know, showing up with no pantyhose on only my grandmother was pantyhose, you know, and that's a big no, no mm-hmm. in my day. Right. I say in my day, right. Like 20 years ago, that was, that was it covering your shoulders making sure you're wearing a jacket. You always had a jacket on the back or a sweater so that you could actually go onto the floor if you needed to give your boss something. Mm-hmm. Um, That's still the rule, isn't it? You have to have a jacket. I think so. But hey, you can put a baby on there now. That's right. Awesome. You can breastfeed. You can breastfeed. Yeah, I think yeah, we're yeah. bringing a baby on, yeah. on the Senate floor. Um, so it was different. It was definitely different. But my, mind you, it was a different time. Mm-hmm. So being a female didn't feel out of sorts, but those women leaders really, you know, we looked up to those different senators Mm -hmm. that were, you know, those powerhouses. Um, What was it like to see her as such a leader and a strong person? It was so idealistic. You know, this was someone that, you know, I'd run over, um, she'd do a speech, she'd be on the floor, she'd do a vote and then run home and make dinner for her twins. Well, first was soccer and then the twins Mm -hmm. dinner. And I'm like, how in the world does she do this? And then go back and maybe do another vote. Um, it was constant. It, it took a, you know, a certain kind of, um, discipline, mm-hmm. um, her focus and her love for her, her home state and country was bar none, mm-hmm. but the love for her, her family was also there. Right. So it kind of led this belief that I could do all that too. Right. And I don't know if she ever knew that, but I think every woman that worked for her felt like, mm-hmm. well, look at her go, mm-hmm. look at her go. And, you know, there'd be moments where she was just one of us, like, where'd you get those pair of shoes? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there, there's a group of other, you know, women senators that would come, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but they would come and do Weight Watchers together, mm-hmm. or they would walk mm-hmm. together or grab lunch together. They, there were only nine of them there when I was there. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't normal when you said Senator that you thought of a female and right. she was that role model mm-hmm. and a lot of other, you know, the Nancy Pelosi's who sat and waited their turn, you know, they were really making, making those changes happen. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that are, we are able to do now that we weren't able to do before. I think when I go to the Hill and look, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty cool. So we, we talked, uh, off mic about OGs, about OGs. You know, yes. The, yes. So contemporarily, I mean, like right now, the greatest example to me is Pelosi versus Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I love them both. And I, and I don't know, I'm, I'm not following it that closely, but there is this, um, generational gap, right? So you've got these young whippersnappers who come in and by God, they're taking over and they're going to do everything. And they either ignore or disregard their elders hard work to get them to where they got. And I can say personally, you know, it wasn't until I was 40 when I realized, Oh, Oh, the feminists in the sixties didn't do it all for me. Like we still have problems. You know, I start looking around, I'm like, Holy shit, you know, I've got to, Oh my God, I need to do something. (laughs) And so, and and I, I totally respect all the work that was done before me, but 
it, it almost feels like this generational amnesia, right? Yeah. And yeah, so you forget. Yeah. And so, so what would you ask the whippersnappers to kind of think about as they're kind of entering the realm and doing things? Well, you know, we talked off, off mic about it and it's, don't forget, you're going to be an OG sooner than you think. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know when it happened. It just kind of did mm-hmm. when you, when you've actually gone through a few campaigns of, of fundraising or through politics, but when you start being able to be the policymaker instead of the one carrying the paper with the legislation or, you know, for the signatures or something like that. I think I'd like the whippersnappers just to remember that there were people that came before, mm-hmm. you know, I don't like the, I don't want to say I don't like the compa- complaint. Um, all of us who define ourselves as feminists were the feminists of our time. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I carried coffee. I, you know, did all the secretarial duties, but I was at the table. I was still there. Mm-hmm. Just don't take advantage of, of your seat at the table. And I've probably been a little bit too vocal to say, sell your role. You know, let's, mm-hmm. let's make way for new talent. But at the same time, don't disregard the work that went into for you even to have a, a seat at this table right. because um, you're standing on the shoulders of giants. And that's the same in our community. You know, there's a lot of women who've been working really, really hard and they may have been in the governor's office as, you know, assistance, but they were still in the governor's office. They got you know, them the way Yeah. 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 You, you, you need to just, I don't want to say, you know, honor the elderly, but you need to, need to remember where we started and where we've come from. And I think for any profession you're in, you need to remember that there was someone there before you. And while you may not be satisfied with what the status quo is, it's your job to continue to work, you know, continue the legacy. And you're still here. It's, yeah. it's not like you're, you're retired from yeah being a feminist, right? Right. I'm just a different OG. That's right. And there's OGs before me. I mean, there's OGs before me. To me, I look at our OGs as resources. Yeah. And I talk to them, you know, Johnny Roebuck was instrumental in helping women lead get going, you know, and you know, who, who knows her who hasn't been around. Right. And so, and she's a force, right? So, so she's still there and I, I would still go to her and just like, I would hope that young people would come to us and say, talk to me about how you got here. Who are you? I mean, yeah. You know, who are like, you or why are you doing what you're doing? Right. But yeah. I was in your and how can your experience help yeah. us now. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, or how can we help each other or whatever? Yeah. So it does get a little bit, um, I'm not contentious. I don't know exactly what the right word is, but I've, I've heard similar stories from the African-American community yeah. where, you know, the older civil rights leaders and participants are like, uh, listen, you weren't marching across the bridge at Selma. You know, mm-hmm. we were. So mm-hmm. don't disrespect us. And I do feel like there is a sort of sense that, hey, you know, I did a lot for you to be able to do what you're doing now. And so but at the same time, you know, we talk about we can't do things the way we've always done them. So I like the fresh people and ideas. Yeah. And frankly, they've got a, shit, a lot more energy than a lot I do. More energy. So it's right. making room. It's just finding that yeah. collaboration like with anything. Right. These are, And you can do the same for nonprofits. Right. Establish organizations who are never going to be in harm's way, opening the doors and helping someone navigate their mission. I think of Aaron at the van, like mm-hmm. we can't continue to do everything. He is, you know, blessing it to, mm-hmm. to help the homeless. Let's open that door mm-hmm. and he will be the leader, you right. know, and it just, it just is going to look a little bit different right. for anything, right. um, whether it be politics or, or a charity who's been around for a million years and, mm-hmm. you know, they refer to them as well, someone we know refers to them as dinosaurs, but at mm-hmm. the same time they have, they have, you know, knowledge, but yeah. they do need to need to make room for, for new talent. Right. So it's just that, it's just that happy medium of relationship right. of, of, um, 
I think that's how anything grows. And we're all in this together. Yes. I mean, yeah. You can't yeah. take it personally. I think right. that's one of the, the reasons I've been okay, successful at this career, both in politics and in philanthropy is, you know, if you get turned down, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. definitely about the, the bigger mission or the mm-hmm. good. Um, you know, if you can't get a donation to a nonprofit, you tell me no. Well, that's between you. Your, your dollars are between mm-hmm. you and the mission. Mm-hmm. Same thing about you and your personal vote um, where you're, you know, where you, where you lie on issues. Right. So you have to go with what you believe in. It's not going to stop me from asking. And we shouldn't be offended by you asking. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where, when or why, but at some point I was like, so what if someone says no, who cares? Just yeah. all you can do is ask, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the only just, way you can get a no, it. right? Yeah. Yeah. So I have to talk about Hillary Clinton. I have always really admired her. Um, and she is so smart, so knowledgeable, so experienced, all of those things. I will say though, that in the primaries, you know, I wasn't sure who I was going to vote for Bernie or Hillary. I I assumed Hillary was going to win. It was kind of like I voted for Nader in 2000. My mother still hasn't forgiven me, <laughs> but I feel like there's, you know, I'm I wanna, haven't either then. Uh, <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah, I, I could have had I my know. job today. Yeah, well, I wasn't in Florida, <laughs> there but, you but, Florida. but when I've felt like it's a safe race, you know, I might vote for a third party mm-hmm. because I don't really, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I feel like people are suffering. And I think that I was excited about Hillary. I was excited about her being the first woman to be elected. And that's kind of what it came down to, you know, and I even told Jason, my husband, he voted for Bernie. I think he's much more liberal than I am, but I was like, I want to see a woman be president in my lifetime. But there was something about Hillary. I felt like, well, it's just going to be more of the same. And I feel like there are so many people who are still suffering that we're not paying attention to whether that's fair or not. That was sort of how I was feeling. I would like to see someone shake things up a little bit. And then maybe that will, when Hillary's president, maybe that will lead to a little bit more, maybe some more progressive ideas and and, and attempts, right? And so, you know, in hindsight, you know, and I did vote for Hillary in the primary um, and obviously supported her in the general. And all went out the door, right? And it's just like, oh my God, the way I feel on steroids is why we had Trump as president. I think, I think there was a whole lot of sexism. I think Hillary just had so much, so many things went wrong, whether it was from Comey to, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't think anyone really knows for sure what, what exactly happened, but what was that like for someone who was invested in her in a different way, which I'm assuming you were, we've never talked about it. Yeah. 2008 all the way, man. I was, I mean, even before. So uh, I've been very invested in that. Um, We're still under the the premise that life is fair and balanced. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, That's not true. Right. That's not accurate. And I see her still today, Mm -hmm. OG and all, Mm -hmm. as that leader that broke down all the, the glass walls. Yeah. And just as we were talking about before that there needs to be someone that went before us, we get to learn from her mistakes. Mm -hmm. We get to learn from her successes. Mm -hmm. We get to, you know, celebrate who she is and really stuck her neck out a million and one times to be our heroine. Right. Um, Whether you agree with her on every single policy or not, you'll never, you'll never agree with everybody on everything, Mm -hmm. but um, you know, she's that person for us. And I love seeing her celebrate new talent, Mm -hmm. you know, and new people coming in. Um, they have a lot to learn from her. Yes. You don't have to just, you know, say, Oh, Oh gee, you're out. No, she, she broke so many, you know, different glass ceilings. And I'm super, super proud of 
you know, being a supporter of hers. Mm-hmm. You can find me at the record club in my Hillary t-shirt all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of friends, dear friends worked with her and, you know, working under her leadership became stronger women leaders. Mm-hmm. I love seeing that. Um, I volunteered for the campaign, loved every minute of that. So no, no, obviously I wish she was in the white house sure. right now, but at the same time, I, um, I think that was a good investment. You know, I think yeah. that was a good investment of the direction of politics for women. And at the end of the day, that's that's kind of the fair and balanced opportunities that I want to see mm-hmm. um, for everybody. Yeah, that's a really good point because she has done so much for women from yeah. the very, very beginning. Yeah. I mean, from before she was with Bill Clinton, really. Yeah. I mean, it, it, she spent her life, I think, for the most part, you know, uh, didn't she? She worked for a Republican Oh yeah. Not that that matters, but I mean, anyway, her whole life. But her work here in Little Rock. I mean, her legacy is everywhere that you look, especially going back to the nonprofit. She started a lot of these as as first lady. And, you know, we're celebrating a lot of the work because of the legacy she she left. Mm -hmm. We're better off because of some of the things that she started. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's different than what it was in the eighties. Right. That's okay. Right. Things evolve. But for all the barriers she broke, she broke them down for us. Yep. Right. She broke them down for Ocasio-Cortez, for everyone, really. And so, yes, the outcome is not what we wanted. (laughs) I am too. I am too. I mean, it was, and it was something I really struggled with, but you know, I'm, I'm just as susceptible to the sexism as everyone else is. Um, And maybe women even more so because we're the subject of, of the sexism, right? The misogyny, but you know, I'll find myself, I'll catch myself thinking, oh, I wish Elizabeth Warren didn't sound so shrill or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I'm just making stuff up. I'm like, what, what, well, what Elizabeth sound like how she wants to, <laughs> you know, voice, yeah, you know? it's her voice. And so it wasn't Hillary's voice. I've always supported Hillary, but I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It's, it's, uh, it wouldn't be so painful. I think if we didn't have Trump as president, because <laughs> if it had been, I don't know, Jen. Mitt Romney or yeah, Mitt, or, or whoever, yeah. whoever, yeah. anyone else. Uh, well, not Ted Cruz, not a fan of him, but you know, if it had been anyone else, it would have been a hard, hard loss, yeah. but it wouldn't feel so devastating. As my husband like, says, you miss Bush, don't you? And I'm like, absolutely, positively. I isn't that Bush. crazy? Yeah. 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 I'm, I'll probably cut this out because anyway, but okay. yeah, I'm like, <laughs> Jesus. It's a, it's a different scene in politics. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't, you know, there, there was so, so much collaboration that would happen and there was respect for people. Right. So, yeah. I, well, if you're cutting it out, I'm good. But I'm just the same thing. It, it's it's a different beast. Things are evolving and, and not for the better. I, I feel like um, in a sense, you know, it has to get darkest before the dawn. And I think Trump is doing damage to this country, uh, to our position globally, to people who I think are suffering more and will um, because of the policies that, that they're putting in place or, or taking away. And nonprofits are stressed already as is. I mean, as you take away these dollars, think back into right. the philanthropy, right. those dollars, if you don't pay it with your taxes, you're going to help us, you know, navigate healthcare mm-hmm. at your local clinics, nonprofit yep. clinics and food banks and right. soup kitchens. I mean, just you right. know, who's, who's going to, who's going to help. And there are a lot of people who think that that's the way it's supposed to be. There absolutely right? is. I want yeah. to choose where my money goes. So I don't yeah, want to pay yeah. the taxes. Yeah. But what, what bothers me is that people don't understand that a, a healthier populace who has the ability to work one, maybe two jobs and support their family so that they don't have to get food stamps. I mean, like that yeah. helps everyone. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I feel like we have this, um, I'm not anti-capitalism, but I would, I would like to see a more human 
capitalism, yeah. you know, in a way that, that doesn't only benefit the wealthy and the people who already have the resources Agreed. and actually like let's value the people who the workers and let's pay our fucking taxes for the roads and the educations and all the things that these businesses benefit from, but they don't want to pay for, you know, or people. Anyway, that's a whole conversation, but anyway, but it's fun navigating that in nonprofit too. So I'm working with totally different beliefs than my own, which is great mm-hmm. because again, I'm just sharing a story. And if it's compassionate to you and it makes sense to your dollars, you know, it doesn't have to be just one or the other. It's really nice trying to yeah. see people celebrate and give their, give their time, talent, treasure to, to area organizations that really need it. Yeah. Yeah. There are lots of ways to, to make the world a better place. <laughs> Tie ribbons around every tree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and nonprofits and voting and running for office and those things. It, it, it's all important. So we were talking about what you observed. Um, Blanche Lincoln was definitely a role model. Oh, absolutely. Um, what do you see? Although it's definitely gotten better. Thanks to Hillary Clinton, people like her. Well, there's no one else like her, but you know, <laughs> but female leadership and, and, and yeah, being able leaders. to, right. So, and the male leaders who are allies and who bring women with them. Right. And exactly. so, although we made a lot of progress, what are you still seeing? Cause I know that we still have, there's still a lot of sexism in Arkansas. It's a South women have their place and you know, we're kind of punching through that to some extent, but not everywhere. And still, even in Fayetteville and Little Rock, there's still sexism that the candidates have to deal with. You know, well, who's watching your kids? Yeah. What are exactly. you seeing out there? Um, so in, in both different capacities of just being um, development consulting and in politics, it's the power of the purse. You know, I'm seeing more women being able to write their own checks. I mean, I've dealt with donors, you know, a decade ago who didn't even know what their gift giving looked like. It was always um, kind of male driven. Mm -hmm. Philanthropy was male driven. Um, Organizations, whether they be widowers now of the the foundation or that they're giving to, I'm seeing more more power of that purse, you know, more um, women coming and being able to be philanthropic on their own, separate from a spouse or a partner. And and that's pretty, pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, Not in all parts of the state. But in in the bigger metro areas, Mm -hmm. um, I'm excited to see that and not, you know, I'm kind of not doing it the old school proper way to make sure that they're the uh, Mrs. you know, or Ms. of of whoever they're married to. So just disassociating themselves and giving perhaps to what maybe their mission might or what their um, philanthropy might be Mm -hmm. separate from a male point of view. So I am seeing some of that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of neat. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see that a little bit more. Yeah. Individualized. You right. Know? Right. What about, um, just anecdotally, uh, a, a woman who is not in elected office right now, but she would talk about how, you know, I mean, you can see who's donating and how much, and she would go to someone and say, Hey, I need a thousand dollars. Well, I'll give you 500. And she knew that he'd given a male candidate a thousand dollars. And I think women tend to not like asking for money. I don't like asking for money. And I tried to raise some money for Jared Henderson and God, it was hard. How do you, do you talk to women about how to deal with that? Well, different candidates too, or different organizations, whether it be male or female, not everyone likes to ask for money. I guess it is somewhat of a talent to be comfortable mm-hmm. to, to make an ask. And there's a whole, you know, ideal thing to, to, to learn on making an ask. But for, for females, it's just to be fearless. And if you're going to put yourself out there um, in the first place to be a leader, um, of a community or of an organization or of your local, you know, district or school board, you've got to be, be able to make those hard asks and ask for help, mm-hmm. um, whether that comes monetary or just of time. So, um, it's a real kind of, uh, boot camp of, 
you have to own it. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's parts of it you don't like, that's okay. Mm-hmm. That doesn't need to be your favorite part. If you're, but if you're committed to being, being a true candidate or a true philanthropist, you need to make sure that you're, you're giving it all. It's part of the program. Yeah. Yeah. You sign up for, sign up for it. Yeah. Check it off your list. Yeah. All right. So any, any last thoughts, anything we didn't cover that you want to mention? No, I just appreciate the time. I kind of appreciate going down memory lane, but just, you know, how I've really enjoyed both, both sets of different hats I've worn and bringing them together in in this consulting business has been a real um, great opportunity to be that kind of leader of service to my community, but also all the other hats I play of wife and mother. And mm-hmm. so when people ask, um, who's watching my kids and I'll be like, they have another person in their life called their dad. So that's right. I, yeah, he's super supportive of that. So yeah, it's nice. Yeah. And I'm going to give a plug to work and moms again, which we yeah. talked about off mic, because I think that is so, I, what I, <laughs> I did a social it. media post about it. Working moms. It's real. It no is. one wants to say some of those things and right. you know, some of them, well, you're not a lady if you talk about it, but it's very, very real and trying mm-hmm. to celebrate your career and celebrate motherhood. You should be able to do both. Mm-hmm. And if you choose not to be a mother, you should be able to celebrate that too. Yes. Thank you very much. There's, there's a place at the table for everyone's yeah. opinion and just, just finding that happy medium right. but for working moms. You know, I've been, I guess now that I'm consulting, it's a different, you know, different workload, but mm-hmm. still, um, carpool, your kid still has to get picked up from school mm-hmm. and it's okay if you're the one doing it or if someone else is helping you out. And right. I think, um, women have to celebrate that. Yeah. And I, although I would have loved to have had kids, it just didn't work out. We just didn't have kids. And I am glad now, you know, I mean, it would have been great, but now in my life, I'm glad because now I can do these other things right, and I can right. still love children who aren't mine. Right, right, right. And You're still playing an effective role model that's for, right. for, yeah. Right. So I would ask anyone listening to stop asking women why they don't have children or when they're getting married. Yeah, because, you might get a punch in the face, right? Yeah. And it's not your business. <laughs> I mean, it just isn't. What, I know. I get I mean, it. I could have a very painful pregnancy story. You know, I mean, yeah. I did miscarry yeah. you know, when I was married to my first husband and it was not fun. And, yeah. you know, I don't dwell on it, but it's personal. Yeah. And I you don't ask men how many children they no, have. Or... No, <laughs> um, I had an abortion when I was 19. You know, I chose that at that time, my boyfriend and I were like, now is not the time. And so like, I've made these choices and they're my choices and I'm not shy about talking about them, obviously, but it's really no one's fucking business, you know, but back to the South, there definitely is this idea that you're supposed to be married and have kids and live in whatever neighborhood and whatever. And so I, I wish that we would just accept our choices, not even accept. It's not our choice to accept, but just rocket sister. You do you. That's all I ask. Yeah. yeah. I think that's how anyone kind of moves forward. Yeah. I mean, white before, before Easter, it's going to happen. <laughs> and I will totally get stares for wearing these white pants today. But at the same time, you know, Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that that's not that's not what I'm looking for in an individual, you know, mm-hmm. a, a leader in terms of, well, what are they dressed in? And unfortunately that does for a woman, you know, whether your, your hair and makeup and things are like that or yeah. are complete and done. Yeah. We have a long way to go, but we've come such a long way. Yes. So, yes. so in, in that role, that makes me excited. Yes. That's all I have to say. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it. I love it all. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks.